All right. Welcome back to Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is Thursday, July 21st of 2022. Thank you for tuning into the stream here today. My name's Jordan, and Office Hours is an open Q&A style show where I answer questions from the Saber Sim community uh, about how to use Saber Sim to build better DFS lineups. So if you have questions you'd like me to answer here on this show, uh, fire away in YouTube chat if you're watching me live here. Uh, if you catch the recording of this show, you can always email us, support at sabersim.com, uh, send in some questions that I'll tackle on the next upcoming show. Uh, and whether you are watching live here or catching the recording uh, of this, the best way to get your questions answered on this show, as always, is to ask them in the Office Hours channel in Slack, uh, for which there's a link to join in the description of all past shows. So if you're not already a part of the Slack community, definitely get joined up in there. It is free. You get access to that Office Hours channel. You also get access to all of our sport channels uh, where you can participate in the conversations going on there. Uh, the Sim Alerts channels to get notifications when new lineups come out, when new Sims are on, that kind of thing. Uh, definitely a great Saber Sim resource there. So, um, oh, excuse me, one sec. <clears throat> excuse me. With that said, uh, we don't have any questions in our queue here as we start today's show, which is okay. Uh, what we're going to do uh, is uh, we'll do a little bit of a demo of something specific. Oh, and I just realized I need to adjust the screen resolution here so you guys can see what is going on here. But um, we don't have any questions in the queue to start today's stream. So if anybody has something they want to talk about, anybody has a question, feel free to fire away um, at me. We'll get to it pretty quick here. Uh, but what I thought we could do, at least to get things started here, um, is kind of a little bit of a demo or a little bit of a walkthrough of some strategy for uh, the slate that is now in progress. Um, and specifically something that I haven't really done before in the past. So we've been doing a couple of these where I'll kind of like do a bit of a stream of consciousness overview of the slate, uh, start talking a little strategy, how I might approach different contest types and things like that. But today, um, in Interestingly, uh, we had a $44 qualifier for the live finals on FanDuel that overlaid pretty significantly. Um, I think there are 700 entries, or the, the size of the contest is 700 entries. I think it only filled up to about 400. So I fired away at the last second at that contest for a few lineups, um, and I followed a process. Uh only had about 10 minutes to get it done because I, I was waiting to see how much that contest overlaid, um, and I followed a process that is somewhat un unique, I guess, not really exactly what I do most of the time for my other contests. So I thought um, that'd be a good way to get us started here. So I was just going to kind of basically walk through here and explain, you know, how I used SaberSim today uh, to quickly build some, some positive EV lineups for this, this qualifier that overlaid. So let's go ahead and, and dive right into it here. And again, if anybody has any questions throughout here, uh, go ahead and fire away at me. Um, if not, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll just We'll chat. We'll talk a little bit of qualifier strategy. So basically, you know, when I'm thinking about these kinds of contests, right, if you're not familiar with them, uh, you've got a single ticket up top, right? There's a little bit, there's a few cash, uh, there's a few other payout positions really, but nothing really uh, that you, you want to shoot for. Um, definitely not the kind of contest that you want to min cash or anything like that. Essentially, all of the equity in the contest is in first place, right? Um, especially on a three-game slate then, I think it's very, very important to uh, play in a somewhat contrarian strategy, right? To, to fade the field a bit, um, to take some chances, right? You Your goal, or at least the way I kind of think about it, is what is the best way that I can... Um, you know, essentially eliminate big portions of the, the field with 
certain fades, right? Uh, are there are there players that I can eliminate? Um, or not even not even necessarily eliminate, but are there are there hitters that are going to be 50 percent owned, whose most common outcome is scoring zero points that can just wipe out a, a big portion of the field from that single one first place spot? Um, if if they fail, right, it's kind of the way I'm thinking about it. So the first thing that I was trying to do basically is I sat down here um, and I wanted to figure out exactly, you know, what are going to be the most popular lineup constructions? What is the chalk going to look like on this slate? Um, and pitchers, you know, pretty simple. Um, based on, I, I think, our ownership projections, I, I, don't, I don't entirely agree with this. We are getting like a little bit of a weird ownership projection here. I actually think like probably, you know, something like this is a little bit more logical of what we actually might have expected here. Um, but pretty easy picture painted here from from the ownership project from the ownership projections on pitcher right Pablo Lopez going to be the most popular guy and then basically kind of like a pick em of the other three guys here uh one thing I will look at when situations like this kind of arise uh is the the salary right um you know sometimes if you have you know you have Scooball, Javier and John Gray who are all going to be 20 ish percent owned uh I actually will sometimes especially when you have a very small player pool um you know, I, I a lot of times I think that the actual like biggest leverage position here is the cheap is the most expensive guy, right? Um, and that what's actually likely to happen here, especially in a qualifier where these kind of few points of ownership projections matter, um, what I found is that people will if they feel like they can get um, an equivalent player. Uh, at a lower salary, they'll do that. So a lot of times I've noticed that, that sometimes you have a situation here where if you've got three guys that are all projected pretty close, all projected to be owned pretty close, um, a lot of times that, that that expensive player ends up being a little bit lower owned. Um, so, and then on the hitter side, right? Interesting slate here where we have these three games. None of the totals were really high. I think the Vegas, the highest Vegas total for any game on this slate was like, or team total was like 4.3, right? So uh, none of these teams like really looking like super chalk, uh, but based on, again, the ownership projections here, just looking at the hitters, um, kind of clear, I think, where the chalk was going to be, right? A lot of popularity on the Houston and New York game. Um, and then a couple, I think, particularly chalkier one-offs uh, for um, Detroit and Oakland here or there, you know, uh, Loriano, uh, relatively cheap play, popular play there. And, and Baez fills um, a difficult position to fill as well. So it kind of makes sense that we'd see some chalk there as well. But definitely this game being the most popular here. And not a clear reason for that game to be the most popular game in my mind, right? Uh, like there's not a massive difference in upside potential of a team that's projected for 4.3 runs versus even 3.6, 3.5, 3.1 runs, right? My head's immediately going to, to basically how am I going to get away from this game, right? How, how am I going to fade this game in a contest type where I need to be really aggressive with, with doing so, right? So uh, then I went, and built lineups. We'll turn late swap off so we can actually kind of mimic what this looked like when I was building it. And then in this case, using a satellite settings, right? Basically, winner, essentially uh, playing this as if it was a winner take all. Um, it was a, a 20 max and it was 100 to 1,000 entrants in this. And we can look at the sliders here, right? Three game slate, very aggressive with our ownership fade, uh, pretty high with our sim precision, right? Favoring uh, definitely those outlier outcomes in each individual lineup and correlation low here right? Um, three games, only six teams, uh, relatively small player pool, uh, a contest where all the equity is in first place. I'm not overly concerned with creating big stacks here, right? I'm, I'm probably kind of thinking about building the optimal here. Um, so what I then ended up doing here is I left pretty much all these settings alone. Um, and my goal here was 
to play about, you know, anywhere from one to five lineups, depending on how many lineups I liked, uh, depending on how this build went. So I'm just going to build, I built, you know, 20 to start with, and we'll take a look here at the lineups that we're getting out here on the other side. So. But. And I think it's good, you know, um, I think it's good to keep an eye, especially on some of these stranger days like today where we have this kind of weird three-game main slate that starts in the middle of the day and it's after the All-Star break. I think it's a good idea, you know, on occasion to, to keep an eye on the lobby um, and just look out for overlay situations, right? The only reason I ended up playing this contest is because it overlaid significantly. And I think it just really, it can be pretty helpful to your your bottom line um, when you're, when you're uh, targeting those situations. So let's take a look at this here. Um, so again, what I kind of like to do, especially when I'm only playing a few lineups, um, is instead of over like really diving into exposures or anything like that. In this case, I'm basically just looking to to, to basically throw a few bullets into this contest. I kind of just start to I like to look and see like what do the lineups look like? What am I getting here? And you can see a lot of Tarek Skubal, right? Um, and then also a lot of Detroit kind of jumping out immediately here at me, right? Um, and the way I kind of went about thinking through this, right, is if we look at these lineups, right, and look at kind of projected score and saber score side by side, right, there are quite a few lineups here, especially considering that ultimately my goal is only really to play, um, let's just increase this all the way, considering that my goal is really only, only to play one to five lineups or so, uh, there are a lot of lineups here that are very similarly projected and also relatively high Sabre score. So what I immediately start thinking here is two things. One, are there lineups? Can I target lineups that are just likely to have a lower overall lineup ownership that are roughly equivalent, the same quality of other lineups in the pool? And two, in a set of five lineups, three lineups, right? Are there, can I, how, what's the maximum amount I can diversify those lineups? Right. If I'm only hoping to play three lineups, it's probably very likely that I can find a, a very diversified set of three where I sacrifice very little ROI, but give myself a, a, a broader range of outcomes to, to shoot for. Right. So that's kind of what I'm thinking about as I start to handpick these lineups. And what I typically end up doing is I will go and turn this down to one and actually start going through and looking at lineups in my pool and picking in any lineups that I want to play. So again, to kind of summarize the way I'm thinking about this, right? I am basically saying that, you know, I'm looking for lineups that are all relatively around a similar projected score, a similar Sabre score, indicating that the quality of the lineup is about the same, and then looking for reasons to play it. Another one would be salary, right? Can I find lineups that are low salary, low total lineup ownership, uh, and and well diversified in, in my actual lineup set? Um and then to, to, to target outcomes that lead to success in this kind of contest, right? That allow me to, uh, to capitalize there. So um, I'll leave this one in there. I like this relatively low overall lineup ownership here, relatively low salary. Um, and I'll just kind of start adding in lineups that, that jump out to me for one reason or another, right? This is a much higher overall lineup ownership. Uh, I might leave that one out here, but let's go ahead and add this one in there. Um, a little bit lower ownership there. Um, again, anything, you know, these... Three Yankees bats, two Houston bats, right? It's going to be tough to get away from a lot of ownership here. So um, we'll, we'll skip that. 
we'll skip these lineups here, 204, 221, right? Um, here's another lineup that I kind of like, um, a way to get a little bit different here. Um, and I was just going through and adding in basically, basically just like all these lineups that kind of jump out to me at first glance here, right? Um, basically trying to figure out, you know, what is the set of lineups that I might want to play? And I'm kind of still keeping an eye on Sabre score and projected score and just making sure that everything's uh, somewhat similar here. Um, there's another one I like here. Um, one thing I remember kind of looking for is to try to see if I could get to any Yankee stacks that did have a low total overall lineup ownership. So um, this one is not bad. Let's see if I can do a little bit better. Here's an interesting one where we at least get two Yankees pieces here. Um, but what's the lowest overall total lineup ownership I can get? So here's a good example, right? So here's here's a creative way to, to get some Yankees exposure, right? And it's a bottom of the order stack, six. Uh, wait, is it four, six, eight, nine, right? So I get maybe a little bit of Yankees exposure there um, with that lineup. And I was just going through and basically checking in these lineups. And then when I get to a set, you know, I have eight here that I'm happy with. Then I'll kind of take a little bit of a closer look. And in this case, you know, what did I end up with? Well, I have seven of eight of my lineups have Tariq Skubal, right? So I might come back here and see, is there was there any way to diversify my pitchers a little bit more uh, that I missed as I was going through here, right? Let's go kind of take another look here. Um, so is there any way to get to maybe a little bit more? Um, let's actually use the the filters here. Let's see. Oh, hang on. Okay. Okay, so we have a little bit of Christian Javier. Let's go ahead and say no scooball lineups and just see what these look like. And come back over here. And kind of see what we can get here. So here's an interesting one where we get a little bit of exposure to Pablo Lopez, right? Uh, but we're at a much lower overall lineup ownership here. Um, and we'll kind of keep going here. And that 200% lineup ownership is just kind of like a number that I guess I kind of just threw out. It's it's a bit of a heuristic here. But I'm basically, you know, just looking for similarly projected, similar upside lineups. Here's a really low overall total lineup ownership. A uh, little bit lower on the projected score here, but still comparable Sabre score. So I'm okay popping that one in here, right? Um, you know what I'd be curious is how far down do I have to go for Sabre score uh, to start getting some of those other pitchers here? Um, it might just be that, you know, on FanDuel single pitcher site, maybe the best way to play is just some combination of uh, Lopez, Javier, and um, there's a John Gray lineup. So we'll tag that one in there as well. Um, but maybe those are kind of the best overall pitching pool pitchers, right? So now we've got some more lineups in the pool. Let's go ahead and come back here now turn that filter off. We have 11 lineups in our pool now. And let's see. Let's see what we get. What did we get on stacks? So, okay, so these exposures look a little weird first of all, but a lot of uh a lot of Detroit, uh, a fair bit of New York as well. So now let's go ahead here and kind of fine tune and see what we can end up with. Okay. And I want just my final lineups. And now I'll basically kind of start eliminating lineups, right? So, uh, you know, maybe I don't need, you know, every single Tariq Skubal lineup in here. So maybe I'll try to get some some more creative ones in here. So um, in this case, we have Detroit, um, Miami, Detroit Yankees. So kind of a lot of, of 
duplication here. So what I might do is maybe just kind of remove these three lineups from the pool, right? Um, and now let's kind of go ahead here again. Um, this was that creative back of the order Yankee stack. So I might leave that one in there. We'll go ahead and remove this lineup from the pool here. Um, and let's see. Are there any other lineups I want to X out here? Um, let's go ahead here and let's drop this lineup because I already, I like this Yankees, Yankees version a little bit more. So we'll X that lineup out here. Um, and now what do we have? We have uh, six lineups here. So I might have just played six lineups, uh, but maybe if I was going to do kind of one other thing here, I think this is one of my favorite lineups that I ended up with just because this is just probably such a low-owned build, just such an unpopular build. So maybe I'll let that kind of be um, my Christian Javier lineup here. And now I have five lineups that I'm kind of happy with, right? And I'm getting, you know, the one thing that I'm still getting to a lot of here is Detroit, which is okay, right? On a three-game slate, you can't like be completely diversified here, but I kind of like this lineup set, right? And these are all still good lineups that have you know, high upside. These are all kind of comparable Sabre score lineups here. Lowest Sabre score lineup is 96 and a half. Um, have no problem with that. Um, pretty decent stacking constructions. Again, I'm not totally worried about having four fours and four threes in every lineup for a three game uh, qualifier. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm playing in a way that I think makes me a little bit unique. Right. Um, even when I'm even when I'm playing some chalkier pieces like the Yankees, the occasional Yankees bat or Pablo Lopez at pitcher. Right. I'm doing so in a way that is unlikely to be duplicated or, or have a lot of players in common with other players in this contest, right? So that's kind of how I think about it is, you know, step-by-step, step, what's the chalk? What are, what are the chalkiest constructions going to be, right? Pablo Lopez uh, with a Yankees and Astro heavy stack. Um, and then maybe, you know, the, the right Tiger or, or uh, um, A's one-off, right? That's kind of what I'm thinking is the chalky construction. And then when I'm building my lineups, how can I build, how can I find, you know, a small set of anywhere from one to, to five lineups, depending on how many lineups I want to play, uh, where I am getting diversity without sacrificing a bunch of ROI, right? A lot of these lineups have similar, a lot of these lineups are going to have similar upside here. You can tell that with the Sabre score. Uh, and how can I find given, you know, this pool of lineups that all again have similar upside, how can I find like some particularly lower owned combinations to get me different from the field. So, and this might be, you know, how I ended up playing here. I think in my particular situation, um, what I actually ended up doing is I, I have Christian Javier and I played three lineups and I have Christian Javier in all three and then played pretty diversified with my stacks. Um, so I have, and played pretty contrarian with my stacks. So I don't have any, I think I have one lineup with Alex Bregman in it. Um, but otherwise, I have no Yankees or no Astros bats. And I just kind of rotated this combination of uh, Rangers, Marlins, Tigers, and A's throughout there, right? So that was kind of the way that I ended up actually doing it here on my my builds, right? Um, so, but just thought that would be a good opportunity to demo that and walk through that a little bit just because it is uh, a little bit different than what I normally do, right? A lot of times I'm coming on here and when I'm talking about my process, I'm talking about my process for building 150 lineups, uh, heavily editing exposures, targeting GPPs in particular. Uh, so this was a little bit of a different approach that I think was useful. So um, Patrick said, leaving a large sum of salaries on a three-game slate is pretty contrarian. Yeah, I, I would say so, right? Um, especially, you know, th there's kind of a 
there's kind of an interesting little thing going on there where too, like a lot of optimizers out there are going to have a pretty high min salary, right? Like in general, it's pretty common to see this number on other tools out there being like, you know, even, even if it's lower than average, right. But like 33 or something like that. Um, and people building by hand for a contest like this, uh, they just don't want to build like it, it doesn't feel good when you're building by hand to leave a ton of salary on the table. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, leaving salary is a great way, uh, to, to get a little bit different. So Patrick says, is it normal when scrolling through a lineup build? I see Sabre scored 199.8 and then four lines later, it declines to, to a 73.9 score. Usually it's a tight close knit Sabre score. Yeah, that can happen. Um, sometimes, um, Especially, I would say, you know, most commonly that'll happen on sports where you're building a lineup, you're building lineups that are supposed to like, you're building lineups that are optimals for single simulations or single sets of simulations, right? So like MMA is a good example. I think you can see that quite a bit um, where, you know, the reason why that's happening is because you have, you have a, a lineup or a set of lineups that are optimal for more than one sim of the way that the card could play out. And that, that gets an extra boost to Sabre score when that occurs. So if you see a lineup drops from like, you know, a lineup, you're looking at a lineup that's 89 Sabre score and the next best lineup is, is 75 Sabre score. It probably means there's a gap in there of how many card simulations those lineups are optimal for or something like that. Um, it can also just mean that there's a little bit of a gap there in the lineup quality too, right? Sabre score is a relative calculation. It's meant to compare lineups against each other. So, you know, let's go back here. Let's look at our pool a little bit more and see if we can see one of those gaps a little bit here. Um, so just as an example, and we may or may not be able to actually get one here, right? What this is saying as we're going down 97.3, 97.2, it's like almost every 10th of a point there's like a handful of lineups. To me, this is saying that all of these lineups are very, very similar in overall quality, right? Like there is, there is almost no difference between the, you know, the vast majority of these lineups here as we go. Uh, but let's go ahead. Let's just see like what the bottom of the pool looks like and see if we can identify one just for the heck of it. And we might not be able to, but that's typically what that means, right? Um, it's indicating that, you know, there's a, there's a gap in lineup quality for one reason or the other between those two lineups. So yeah, I'm not able to find one here, but I mean, this just goes to show you how many different lineups there are that are that, that like you can play profitably in a contest like this, right? I mean, we are, you know, look, there are at 93.5 Sabre score. There are uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 lineups that Sabres is basically saying are roughly equivalent, right? And we're still only at, I mean, these lineups aren't even that much worse than the lineups that were at a hundred Sabre score. So, but, um, Braden says any UFC tips for running 25 lineups this week? Let's go take a look. You know, I haven't actually even looked at the slate, um, too much here. Um, but, Let's see here. So what I would be interested in doing first of all here is just getting an idea of what is the what are going to be the most popular lineup constructions here. So let's let's take a look here. Let's run a couple builds and just walk through this. So I'm going to do a cash build first. I'm going to look at the top 500 cash optimals and just see what the most popular constructions are and then I think I'm going to look at a research build too uh and see where are some opportunities to get different. Uh, but this, you know, again, this is kind of like how my process would look for most, 
for most sports, especially if I haven't looked at the slate at all, right? Get familiar. What are, what are the most popular constructions? What are people going to do? And what are some ways to get different from that, right? Um, so let's go ahead here. Let's take a look salary range by salary range here. Um, so interesting here. Okay. So really interesting here is if we're going to get a few 9K fighters that are going to be significantly less popular than others here, right? Um, this will be, I will almost certainly take chances on, let's pull the win percentage up here as well. Um, I will almost certain, even without running the research build, be taking pretty significant chances on some of these expensive fighters that look like they're going to have low ownership, right? Um, like to me, this is, and we'll see, I, I imagine ownership will continue to tighten up throughout the week. That would be one thing to keep an eye on. But if these are the actual real projected ownership numbers, if this is actually what we get, um, I will probably be very, very aggressive uh, with my ownership for for Mikhaev and McCann and things like that. Um, I, it just seems really inefficient to me. Um, so let's kind of go down the list here. So yeah, a couple 9K fighters probably going to be very popular. Others uh, very much less so. Um let me see, this is kind of confusing me now here, the way I set this up. Um, and let's look at leverage here. So what else am I seeing here? Um, so it's a patty, it's a patty slate. So uh, good opportunity here. Um, I, you know, in DFS Twitter, you MMA Twitter, um, a lot of, of conversation about Patty this week. I think he's got like a viral clip from his interview going viral here. Uh, good opportunity, I would expect. Uh, that his ownership number could be a little bit inflated from that. Um, Max was, you know, Max was on here a couple weeks ago talking about paying attention to just narratives and the news cycle as we lead up to the fights uh, on Saturday. I think that's probably a good opportunity. I would not be surprised to see this number a little bit higher just because of, you know, he's already a popular fighter, um, but been been in the news a lot. Been kind of, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of steam go in that direction here. Um, so um, let's go look and see. Are there any other? You know, who else is really popping here? Um, okay, so a lot of popularity for some of these different names here in like that 8K range, right? Um, Goldie shows up here a little bit in that 6, 9-ish range here, but I'm kind of starting to see a construction here um, that I think there's going to be kind of take your pick uh, or maybe get, try to get to both of these uh popular 9k guys and then build some other construction around a lot of these um cheaper well not even cheaper 8k guys here um that all you know hermanson uh patty pierce right um and then stick in maybe kind of the the occasional 6k right so i'm, I'm kind of seeing more of a balanced popular construction here for cash games this week let's go ahead and look at the research build here uh and in this case what we're going to do is basically simulate the card out 1500 times and see how often certain fighters show up in the optimal given those simulations and i'll start to think about how i want to uh approach my my leverage for that particular slate so let's take a look here And I really, again, I haven't looked at this at all. I haven't researched this slate at all. So I'm kind of doing this, doing this a little bit live here, but this is actually, you know, what I would, what I'd be thinking about here. So we'll let this build. I think MMA is probably one of, 
if not the best sport to run a research build to for just because you basically need the optimal to win. Uh, and 1500 lineups is actually, you know, it represents a pretty decent sample of, uh, the, the different ways that the slate could actually play out here. So, um, probably my favorite overall sport to run these on. Um, okay. So let's take a look here and again, go, and this is, you know, I'm actually, a, I would say I'm a little bit surprised by this actually. Um, this is kind of. This kind of flips on. This kind of flips this around. Wait, oh, never mind. Whoops, sorry. I'm not looking at enough lineups. Here we go. Okay, so let's take a look here. So again, actually, you know, I, I would still say that I am overall still a little bit surprised that this is not. These are not bigger numbers here, um, and like that, this isn't a bigger number, right? Um, I mean, maybe there is just a little bit of a pricing issue here. Um, again, my gut is still telling me that I'm going to find it hard to be overweight on Wood um, or Jones or um, some of these other names here at the, the high end range when there are, you know, other similar priced fighters with probably, you know, similar upside overall at a much lower range here, right? Um, I will probably hear, let's see. I'm going to take a couple notes down um, of the way that I want to, I would probably think through this here. Um, so I would probably say that, you know, based on my, my research build here, I'm going to be cautious of the chalky 9K and 8K fighters. Um, and I think that's in particular Jones, uh, Hermanson, Wood, um, yeah, so those two, and then I probably want to at least get a little bit of leverage here, um, on some of the other guys in that range that I just think are getting a little bit ignored. So, um, I might take it as an opportunity to get leverage using, uh, Curtis, um, and you can get this direct leverage too, sometimes too, just by playing the guy that's, that's fighting the, the person that you're fading, right? Um, but I like Curtis here. Um, I, pr I'm probably going to try to get to some McCann and probably get to some Mikhaev, right? Um, and then let's look, one thing we haven't really looked at is the low end salary here, right? Let's see. Let's pull win percent back up again. So one thing that I really like to look for is are there underdogs that look like the field is going to roster inefficiently, right? Like Goldie's a really good example. 30, th only a 33% chance to win the fight already looks like ownership is going to be inefficient, right? Um, and if at the higher this number gets, the more inefficient it's going to be, right? So, you know, kind of a, a general rule of thumb of the way I like to think about some of these research builds here is... I, it does not take a lot for me to find reasons to fade a popular underdog, right? Because they're already they're already not favored to win the fight, right? It also does not take a lot for me to find reasons to play uh, a underowned favorite, right? This is why, like somebody like Molly McCann might be interesting to me. Sixty six percent chance to win the fight, and I know winning is not everything, right? Um, 
but 66% chance to win the fight and already looks like inefficient ownership in the, in the opposite direction. Um, so now let's go ahead here and start building maybe kind of like what might be a final set of lineups here. Let's build, you said 25, right? So 25 lineups and kind of start putting this together and think about how we might want to end up building this here. So, so we have some notes, have some ideas here. And then what basically what I'm going to be end up doing here in this, this final build is I'm going to look to take some stands based on a couple of the fighters that I think are going to be inefficiently owned. And I'm also going to manage my risk, right? Um, so David said, don't you use win percent here for MMA too? Yes. So that's kind of where this, I was using the win percent a little bit during the research build. I'll also use it here as a way to kind of manage risk and diversify a bit here in this final lineup build. So let's take a look. Okay. So first of all, let's go ahead here and target a couple of these guys here that I think the ownership is going to be inefficient on, right? And we're getting a lot of exposure to them right off the bat. Um, so Wood, uh, Hermanson, and, and Jones all pop to me as maybe inefficient ownership. So I'm going to take a shot at trying to get under the field on these guys, right? Um, I don't I don't necessarily want to fade completely, but I'm gonna I'm gonna play a situation where. Um, they fail relative to their ownership here and try to get a little bit under the field, right? Um, and Hermanson was another one. So maybe 25% exposure there, right? And you can see I'm flipping this. I'm flipping what Saberson wanted to do by default here on its head, right? But it's based on my own individual research of how I want to tackle this. Um, and then some, some leverage opportunities here. Um, Curtis was on my list of somebody that I want to get a little bit over the field on as was McCann and Mikhaev, right? So maybe 25% there and maybe, you know, 20% here, right? As a way to get a little bit different. Uh, and now um, I'll take a look at my, my exposure and see how, how things shake out on the exposure side, right? Um, and again, you know, sometimes there's, there's only, you know, 28 different players in the player pool here. So you have to be, I think, a little bit more comfortable getting exposure uh, to some of these fighters. Um, you have to be a little bit more comfortable getting more exposure to fighters in MMA than you might in a, you know, other sports here. So I'll typically be okay with leaving these numbers high. Uh, but the one thing I do want to pull back in is that win percentage and just look for outliers here, especially for the underdogs, right? So let's pull this back over and... Let's just see how what my what my underdog exposures look like overall. Um, and Goldie is one that jumps out here, right? And this was somebody that that seemed like um, was a little bit inefficient. So I, uh, when I ran my research build, so I'm already going to get some exposure to McCann, right? Um, but I actually think I'm going to double down on this particular situation and just make sure that I'm not overexposed um, to to Goldie here. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to set this to 25, right? Basically, I, I'm, I'm my goal here is to just end up under the roughly a little bit under the field here, uh, under the the probability of of success here. Um, you know, this is a really good example of kind of what I was talking about yesterday with tennis, right? Where we have, you know, the only reason that she is so chalky is because of this very slight salary inefficiency, right? We've got all of these. There's a t there's a ton of different fighters that have roughly a thirty to forty percent chance to win their fight, right? And there's just one slight salary mispricing here that's driving this up, right? That to me is like the definition of inefficiency here, and I don't want to be on the wrong side of that. So that's kind of the way I'm I'm looking at this here. So, but let's go ahead and kind of keep going here and just see um, again uh, another good example here um, is. Is blades here? 
another underdog that I'm getting well over on. Um, I didn't really have a stance based on my research build, at least when I first looked at it here, uh, for, for him. So what I might do is just maybe bring this down maybe to match about the win percentage here for him. Um, and see where we end up there. But that looks pretty good, right? Again, I just don't feel like there's a very strong reason to ever be extremely well over the field or well over a fighter's raw probability of winning their fight. Um, so I always like to look at that for the underdogs. So this might end up kind of being about how I would approach it if I had to build lineups right now, right? I picked a couple fighters that I think are, are over-owned relative to their expectation, picked a couple that I think might be a little bit under-owned, managed risk. Um, I, I feel a little bit more comfortable being kind of spread out here and I might, might roll with, with these kinds of lineups into, into the final build. So that's kind of like a quick version of how I might, might go into this. So Patrick says, do you buy into the hype when certain players take a lot of steam going into the sleep? For example, Tom Kim and got her up. Yeah. I mean, definitely. Um, I, I actually talked about those two p names in particular yesterday about names that I would bump up on their ownership projection for the golf slate, right? Um, I actually think they're probably still in here that way. Um, but definitely, definitely. Um, oh, it overwrote them uh, weirdly. Um, but yeah, I had pumped up, I had bumped up both of their, the ownership there, uh, yesterday a little bit from what, what we were getting. Um, so, um, yeah, no, definitely. I think, I think that's a great idea. Um, especially in sports where narratives drive ownership heavily, right? That MMA, definitely golf, definitely. Um, you know, especially in, in, in sports with smaller player pools overall, the, the ownership can be a little bit more susceptible to narratives, right? In a, in a 13 game baseball slate, like, yes, there, there can be certain narratives that come out, um, and things like that and certain discussion that leads to some, some steam, but there's so many other players to click on it. It doesn't have as big of an impact. Uh, also I think weekly sports are a little bit more susceptible to, to narratives driving steam, uh, for, for ownership for, for guys too, just cause there's more time to talk about it. Right. Um, football is actually a good example too, of a wider player pool sport, uh, where that can ownership can change a lot. You know, basically the, when I kind of think about like, what is, what is steam? What are narratives as it, as it relates to ownership to me, I kind of, the way I kind of think about it is once initial projections are available, right. Can ownership or will ownership change with no real news breaking about a particular slate, right? Like if a, if news breaks and somebody's ruled out, it makes sense that projections would re-update and ownership would kind of resettle. But in sports like golf and MMA in particular, like everybody has a general sense of how a golf tournament is going to be projected by like Tuesday. But the ownership from Tuesday to Thursday is very different. That to me is, is really uh, like what, what the definition of, of steam is here. Uh, and, and how it affects the, the ownership. So um, David says, what about quick win percent? Do you use that too? Uh, not, not really, not so much. Um, I would, I mean, I wouldn't, we, we have all the, the detailed stat projections up there for a reason. So if it's, if it's useful for your process, I would, you know, I have no problem incorporating that. Um, it's not something that I use um, very, very much. So um and again, this is just kind of, you know, the win percent is just like a convenient 
it's just a convenient number that allows me to stay grounded when I'm thinking about these probabilities, right? Like, I don't know, you know, I was getting 90%. Well, wait, what was I getting? I was getting like 90% Nathaniel Wood, right? Well, actually like, okay, no, this is like a decent example, right? So maybe you're running your build and you're getting 85% Jack Hermanson and 85% Nathaniel Wood, right? And you're kind of deciding like, hey, are these good ownerships? Are these bad? Like, is it good chalk or bad chalk? I, I, I think you can use the win percent even just at even just at a basic level of kind of identifying that there's there's a there's one of those players is a little bit more likely to pay off even that ownership than the other, right? Like I would be a little bit more comfortable with with uh, Wood chalk than Hermanson chalk at the moment, just purely using that number, right? Like I don't even need much beyond that. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I just think it's a helpful kind of grounding number. That, that helps provide a little bit of probability for, for success. So Graydon says, and you like 2-2-10 for the build? Yeah, I think that's good. Um, the correlation's not really going to do anything, to be honest. Like, I allow opposing fighters is off by default anyway. So I correlation basically has no impact. Um, ownership fade, I, I think, like, is good at two. Again, we're using single card sims to build each lineup. So each lineup is going to be pretty, like, diversified and unique and and probably at least include a couple contrarian pieces no matter what. Um, if you have less time or feel a little bit less comfortable, like, so when I run my process, I run that research build, which makes me become opinionated about the slate, right? I all of a sudden have stances on all of these different fights of how I want to leverage different things, right? I'm over, I'm over the field on Molly McCann. I'm under the field on Goldie, right? All of these different kind of ways of looking at the slate. That makes me opinionated. It gives me an opportunity to add some value and make some adjustment at the post build spot. If you don't feel that way, or like if you're less opinion about uh, less opinionated about the slate, or don't necessarily know how to to figure out what stance you want to take for yourself, um, I think one thing you could do is increase the ownership fade slider a little bit, right? And maybe run something at like four, and then see what kind of lineups you're getting, which will take a little bit more. It will basically automate some of your ownership stands relative to the field, right? So I think I think increasing the ownership fade slider just a tad could be an interesting idea here. It'll also help avoid you being duped a little bit more. Um, but I think 2210 is is perfectly fine. I mean those are the those are the defaults. So I think those are good. Maybe I'll play a little bit of, I actually haven't had the opportunity to play too much MMA DFS recently here. Um, so maybe I'll play a little bit this week. Cool. Patrick says, does it bother you when a player isn't in the starting lineup, but a pinch hitter and hits a bomb Joey Gallo from Sunday? No, I mean, it is what it is, right? You got you to pick your battles when it comes to DFS. Otherwise, you're just going to be bothered all the time. <laughs> there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of bad beats out there, so... No, it, no, it happens. Um, I did have, um, I, oh God, I'm trying to remember exactly how this happened. Um, I had, okay. So I had, I can't even remember who the player was. Um, a couple months ago, I took a, I took the hits under on somebody for the giants. I can't remember who it was. This is prop bet, right? 
um, it was a hits under, maybe it was a runs under, it was something like that. It was some under for somebody on the Giants. And to have action on that bet, the player had to play, right? So I think it was at M- MGM, and their rules are the player has to play in the game to have action. So I bet that before the starting lineup was confirmed. And then the player ends up not in the lineup, right? So most likely outcome at that point is that the bet's void, right? The player doesn't get in the game. Well, I, can't, I, I wish I could remember who this actually was because I think the story would be better if I had a name here. Um, but ultimately, eighth or ninth inning, player comes in and pinch hits, right? Which I'm actually pretty excited about at that point. I'm like, oh, now I have action on this bet. I have like, a, a, I think it had to have been a run, run under. It wasn't a hits under. It was the runs under, right? Now I have action on this bet for a player who's pinch hitting and I have like under a half run, right? Well, sure enough in the pinch hit double gets on base, ultimately ends up scoring the run. And I ended up, it's one bet. It is what it is, but I ended up losing that bet. And that was a little bit tilting because I was like, you know, I went from, I mean, I felt like the bet was profitable, even if the player played the full game. So I go from that to, oh, he's not in the lineup, most likely outcome, probably going to get refunded to, oh, he's pinch hitting in the eighth. Like, I might get a freebie here. Like, what are the odds that this guy that's going to have one at bat all game on a pinch hit uh, scores a run to losing the bet? Um, So that was a little tilting. But on the DFS side of things, I think it mostly doesn't really end up affecting you. Uh, The one thing, you know, I guess if you had played like a bunch of Yankee stacks and maybe built your lineups before the Yankees lineups came out, and like if you were well over the field on Joey Gallo, and then you rebuild because he's not in the lineup, and then he pinch hits for a, for a home run, then it's a little bit like, oh, like I should have just left it where it was. But again, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of little things like that in DFS, and you gotta you gotta pick your pick your battles there. Uh, otherwise, you're gonna be you're just gonna be on tilt all the time because there's all kinds of stuff like that. So. Drew Holiday from the Bucks was in the starting lineup, played one minute and rode the bench the rest of the way. Game itself didn't have a significant impact. Yeah, that, yeah. don't even get me started with NBA. It's probably even worse than, than baseball for that kind of stuff. Um, I know that Draymond Green thing, that was, especially with the sports books, that was a, a big deal for a while. That is, people, people, waited, people waited months for settlement on those bets where it was um, Clay Thompson's first game back and Draymond Green was hurt but he wanted to start and like the news basically broke that Draymond Green was basically going to come in only to start and then go sit on the bench the rest of the game a few minutes before the game started and people slammed his unders for maybe even just a couple minutes uh, before the game actually started. Um, and uh, if I remember correctly, DraftKings and all those sports books ultimately ended up being required by, by the government to pay out all those bets, but they were holding on to that and they were, they were, they were trying to avoid all of those bets. Um, but it took a long time. I, if I, if I remember correctly, everybody should have gotten paid out for those. Um, but it took months for those to, for those to pay out. But anyway, any other, any other questions here for me on today's stream here? Um, I ended up with almost a hundred percent Sung Jay, uh, for the 3M open this week. Um, I felt like ownership was so inefficient on this particular week. Um, more than than any, and I I I play an extremely diversified golf style, so it's very rare for me to have that much exposure to one to one guy. Um, but I really, uh, and I realize this sounds a little bit like Thursday victory lapping, and that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm sure he'll go out tomorrow and shoot plus six and miss the cut, and and you know it is what it is. But uh, I I really felt like ownership was strange this week, where you you had like these three 
golfers that from my perspective were far and away better than the entire rest of the field uh above 10k right the three 10k golfers and i know i know hideki's like blew it today too but whatever right then all of these 9k golfers that everybody was rushing to go play davis riley and and sahith and um uh who else was in that range hadwin who i know shooting a good round today here as well that that to me there should have been a two thousand dollar like the jump from sungjae to any of the 9k golfers should have been jump from 10k to 89k not uh, to 8,900, not 9,600 or whatever it was. Uh, and they were all so chalky, right? So I played my, my golf strategy this week is kind of weird. Um, I'm, I'm over the field by quite a bit on all three of those 10 K golfers. I have a ton of exposure to six and seven K golfers and I have faded or I'm under, I don't, I don't want to say faded. I'm not, I'm not 0%, but I am well under the field on basically every golfer from eight K to 9,900. Um, I just, it was a, it was a very interesting week here, uh, in DFS golf where I, um, and I guess maybe I should even just have this up, um, while I'm talking about this here. Uh, but just a weird week where I just felt like ownership was very inefficient. Um, just a very, very strange week overall. Right. So, um, and I mean, some of these guys even ended up more chalky than we expected. Right. I think Cam Davis is like 29% owned. Right. Um, you know, all of these guys are just so chalky, right? Like, I, I don't know. So, but. Uh, Patrick says, no projections for Live Showdown. Yeah, we not not right now. I mean, similar to like KFT and the LPGA and, and all of these other tours, we, we're not going to be able to have, have support for those right now. Um, we'll keep an eye on Live. I think that, you know, I think that particular tour has the best chance of having like bigger legit prize pools in the near future um and if it does um we can look at at uh building out some some sims for for live golf but for now uh we'll continue just be pga tour support on saber sim so if you have projections again i, I also i think golf is not the worst sport in the world to just upload projections um if you if you have them um i don't know I don't even think the next live golf slate is up in DK yet. It's like a week out, right? So um, we'll keep an eye on it. It should be in the app though once it's once it's out. So anyway, I don't see any other questions coming in here. So we'll go ahead. We'll leave it there for today's stream. I will be right back here again tomorrow for Friday show, two p.m. Eastern. Uh, our first big slate. Uh, after the the MLB All-Star break, which I'm looking forward to. So uh, enjoy the rest of this little uh, three-game uh, taster slate here. Uh, good luck in the rest of the 3M Open if you played some golf DFS, and I will see everybody here again tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern. See ya.